Is, is it recording well on the levels? Testing, testing, Hebrews 2, verse 5. Tonight we're going to look at verses 5 through 9. And, um, and again, Paul is talking about not being as high as angels. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, Paul's pretty well proven the fact that Jesus is better than the angels, right? I mean, pretty, pretty solidly have done that. But now again, in verse 5, Paul starts talking again about angels and about Jesus and about man and, and just kind of throws another uh, spanner in the works, really. And so tonight we're going to look at verses 5 through 9. And in my Bible, I'm not sure about yours, but in my Bible, uh, the headline of this segment, section of Scripture is the Son is superior to angels. And I'm thinking, over again, quite repetitive. But if you bear with it tonight a little bit, you will see it's actually not repetitive, repetitive at all, but it really has some powerful punch to the emphasis that it's talking about. So again, Emily, I think, is it, is, yeah, for me, is it too loud for you guys? Is it okay? Yeah, I'll leave it then. Let, let's pray, and uh, we'll get into this. Father, we love you again tonight. Lord, help us this evening. God, this, this set of scripture is so amazing. It, it, it just solidifies in our understanding who the Son really is and what He has done. So I pray, Lord, in our weaknesses tonight, in our inabilities, in our, our failings, Lord, we, we come together as the church and we pray that you would speak to us and that you would help us in this teaching time. And Lord, that, that just being here tonight would be an encouragement, a lift, a help, uh, just life itself, life itself, Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read together the scriptures tonight. Uh, chapter Hebrews 2, verses 5 through 9 will be our text. And again, uh, it's about Christ's superiority to the angels. And uh, but a lot more than that. So let's get into it. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come? And, and, and what he's talking about the world to come, depending on who, who you read and who you would like to follow, uh, some people say it is the entire age of grace that we were in, where it means, um, for, it's like a rhetorical question, for unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the, the world to come or the age of grace, which would be what we're in now. Some, and I probably lean to this understanding of it, uh, when it says the world to come, he's talking about that age, because oftentimes world it, it means age. He's talking about that millennial kingdom age where Christ is reigning with a rod and he is in absolute control of everything. And I think it's probably leaning more to the millennial kingdom. Does anybody not know what the millennial kingdom is? Okay. In a, in a real quick nutshell, the millennial kingdom is in a stage of, of uh, prophecy or eschatology, the things that are going to come in the future, where after the church, all the saved people are raptured out of the world, God then allows about seven and a half years of judgment to this world. Primarily that judgment period is to the nation of Israel, where it brings them back into a belief and faith in, in the, the, the you know, living God. After that seven and a half period, seven and a half years of judgment where God deals with Israel, God at the end of that seven and a half years will put um, Satan and the um, beast into the pit, into a bottomless pit, chained for a thousand years. At that time, Christ will reign in Jerusalem over this world for a thousand years with all of the saved of all of the age. Okay, everybody who'd ever had their faith in, G in God and Christ going all the way back to Adam and Eve, 
on to the very last person who had accepted the Lord. The thousand-year period is where God, where Christ reigns. At the end of, and they call it the millennial or the thousand-year kingdom. At the end of that kingdom, Satan will be loosed once again for a season. We have no clue as to how long that season is, but he will be loosed again for a season, and he will once in final time come against God to try to defeat him. God then, Revelation 20, 21, God then will defeat Satan and Lucifer and cast them into what? The lake of fire, where this is considered the second death, where hell and death are put into this lake of fire. That millennial kingdom is near the end of all that's going to take place. So, I, people like Weist, Wearsby, uh, most modern um, uh, evangelical theological commentators believe that when it says, for unto the angels has he not put in subjection the world to come, or that millennial kingdom. They're not going to lead the millennial kingdom, okay? Whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crowned him with glory and honor, and did set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Now, does anybody know what all that scripture is talking about? Bear with me a little while, and I hope that we'll kind of unveil it. Now, I'll be honest with you. When I've read this scripture years ago and, and, and times after I became a Christian, I actually read that in great confusion because I thought, well, Man, I start reading it, and I think it's talking about humanity, about man. Then I keep on reading it, and I think, well, maybe it's talking about Jesus. And so, what? who is this verse talking about? In that middle there, like verses 4 through 6, where it says, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you visitest him? Who do you think those verses are speaking of, humanity or Jesus Christ? Who, who says humanity? Who says Jesus? Who has no absolute clue whatsoever? Who thinks both? Both. Actually both. And I'll, I'll show you how. As Paul has done already quite a bit in Hebrews, it's a book speaking to Jewish people. Jewish believers are thinking about going back into Judaism and leaving the, the, the way of Christ. And so Paul is basically establishing this fact. Look, there's no reason to go back into Judaism because Christianity, Christ following, is the best of all of it. Christ is better than the angels, and they, he keeps telling them that because the Jews realize they got their, a lot of their revelation by the mediation of angels. So they uplifted angels and they looked at them highly. And so they're thinking, well, you know, a bunch of old fishermen or some kicked out rabbis are giving us this new stuff. And yet the old word, the Old Testament, the Hebrew law came by angels. Such a magnificent thing. So that was kind of dragging them across. So Paul said, wait a second. No, not at all. So Paul uses the very word that they think highly of, right? The Old Testament. And he begins to quote it. He did it in, in verses a few weeks ago, back in, in chapter 1, 
And in my Bible, my King James Bible, whenever there's a quotation from the Old Testament, it's always in bold caps. And so uh, he did that a lot in the latter part of chapter 1, 5, verses 5 through 14. And now he does it again. Verses 6 through 8 are a quotation from Psalms 8. Now go and flip to Psalms 8. We're going to sit at Psalms 8 for a few minutes and, and look at this. Now, who wrote Psalm 8? Anybody know? Yeah. Do you know how, do you know how I know that David wrote Psalm 8? Under the title Psalm 8, my Bible says David wrote this psalm. So it's just like you guys. I, I look it up, man. David wrote the psalm. It is, again, a, like a coronation psalm. It is a, it is a psalm that is talking about something specific now, but also has a future implication. So in other words, it, it, th that psalm is speaking to David at the moment about something specific, maybe in his life, in, in his family, or in his kingdom, you know, that pertains to him specifically, but it also has a future aspect to it as well. Now, Psalm 8, verses 4 through 6. See if you can hear the quotation. What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that you visitest him. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor, that thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. And then you can go and read further on, but that part, 4 through 6, is the quotation that is, is given in Hebrews. Now, do you see that term, son of man? Okay, that term, son of man, is used to identify two people. Sometimes the word son of man in scripture is used to speak of sons of men, humanity, us, okay? What else is the term son of man used to speak of? Of Jesus Christ. It doesn't give any identifying factors other than the fact of context. In Psalm 8, if you read the beginning, he David says, O Lord our God, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who has set the glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man? Do you see the comparison? He said, when I look at the beauty of this, man, what are them star thingies that we see outside of Orion or, well, honey, what's in our sky sometimes when we go home and we say, look at that bright thing? Orion, right? We see them stars. Don't, have you ever sat and gazed and went, wow. anybody? Because creation is magnificent. And, 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 and uh, David is looking up at the sky and he's looking at the beauty of the universe and he is saying, man, I look down here, Lord, what is man? You who have created all this, you who have created the beauty, you who have put the planets where they belong, you who have created the universes and the galaxies and the stars and all that there is, you who have done all this and created everything on this earth, what is man? that you think about him? What is man that you visited him, that you came down to be with him? For you've made him a little lower than the angels and has crowned him with glory and honor. You made him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. You've put all things under his feet. Did he not do that? Told Adam and Eve, to go, we talked about this last week, go in the garden, subdue it, have control over it. They had everything there that they needed. They were in control of all things. What did he tell Adam? He said, go name everything. You're the boss man. You go name it. And, and David is making that comparison to, 
that beauty and say, what has man got that you would even think about it? This is what it's talking about. When I read a commentary on Psalms, I, I read this. When he was observing the work of creation and he was amazed that man would have responsibility over it. The, the psalmist observed the great work of God's hands, which included the heavens and the moon and the stars as God's finger work. And then he was amazed that finite man should have such a responsibility over it. The word man in the Hebrew is the word enos. Okay? Enos, by definition in Hebrew, means mortal or means weak man. Now, he's making that comparison. This, this psalm is talking about humanity. He was praising God in this psalm. In verse 4 of Psalm 8, he's emphasizing that man is, an in, is insignificant in the universe. Think about it. Remember when Monty was here? I don't know if you were here. Now, Monty said there was a hundred million galaxies. Okay, well, my brain stops at a hundred million. Okay, can you imagine? Can you fathom a hundred million galaxies? And I could barely fathom one in a hundred million galaxies, and then little teeny weeny man up somewhere in the existence of all of that. Who are we? Who are we? So little, so frail. Life, life can be swallowed up in an instant, can it not? I mean, all of our hearts quite heavy at the moment, aren't they? Because we have people who are hurting over that very thing. And, and this life like this, and this is what David is saying. But then, he used the term, he said, just a little lower than the angels. He just, he didn't make them quite like the angels. Now, I'm not going to go into the comparison of man between angels. I don't think that's really a big deal because of this one understanding in Psalm 8. The word, the Hebrew word for angels in, 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 in Psalm 8 is the word Elohim. Have you ever heard of the word Elohim? What's Elohim mean? Say, say it again. It means God. Okay, does that play with your mind any bit? Does it? Think about it. Watch this. The word angel, Elohim, it, it can mean both angel and God. Sometimes that word Elohim in the Hebrew is also, it's translated sometimes angel like it is in King James. Sometimes it's translated as God when the context requires. Also, sometimes the word Elohim might be translated as um, heavenly beings. But in this context, in this verse, it actually means God. So what you have is this. So you could take this as saying that, that, they, that man has been made just a little lower than God. And isn't that exactly how we were made? Think about it. We were made in his image, but we were not made as God. What was the difference between Adam and Eve in the garden and God? They were completely innocent. Now, I'm not trying to say we're not, we're not gods. Just listen, we're not gods. But the Bible says we were made a little lower than Elohim. We were made a little lower than God. What was the difference between man and God in the garden? Ah. The difference was, God said, after Adam and Eve sinned, God said, they, they've become like as we are. The only difference with them was, they, they were not living eternally because they had not eaten of the tree of life. We don't talk about this often. God created all that was created. He said, all the stuff in that garden is yours to eat. 
There's only one tree that you can't eat of, and that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The other tree, the tree of life, you can partake of that tree. But they hadn't partaken of it because God said after they sinned, we need to put them out of the garden. I'll get to you in a minute. We need to put you out of the garden. We need to put them out of the garden because their mind has been enlightened. They're no longer innocent. They they understand that they have, they understand things in a different way now. And so we need to put them out of the garden or they would be like gods because they would live eternally. I know it's freaky and it sounds weird, but that's exactly what it was talking about there in the scriptures. The interesting, I won't leave you hanging, Nikki, just hang on. The interesting thought about man being made a little lower than God is this. God made man a little lower than the, the, God made man a little bit lower than Elohim, which means literally in Hebrew, God made man for a little while lower than God. That's the literal translation of that term. Interesting thought. I don't know if I completely get it or buy it, but let me give you an interesting thought. The suggestion seems to be that Adam and Eve were in a period of probation. They were not created to remain less than God, not that they were created to be God, but they were created to remain they were not created to remain less than God. And had they refused to sin, they would have ultimately shared God's glory in a wonderful way. Because if they had not sinned, they would have partaken of that tree of life. And they would not have ever died. And they would have experienced a very wonderful relationship with God. Take your Bibles, because I see on your faces that confusion is 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 not, you know, not so much sure about this. Look at Genesis 2, verses 15 through 17 for a minute. In Genesis 2 there, it says, in verse 15, And the Lord God took the man, and he put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. Now go to chapter 3, verse 22. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, they had to put man out of the garden. Okay? The idea is this. God made man a little lower than himself. Did not make us like him. Now, you had some questions, Nikki? There's only one God. Not gods. Don't think that we would have been gods. That's me. That explains. We would not have been God, but we would have had a different relationship with Him. We would have had a a special relationship with God, in that we would have just continued existing and in and in that innocent state. Now I don't know. Like I said, I don't know if I buy the fact that that Adam and Eve was on a probation period, but it's an interesting thought to think about because it is true that God created us, and if we hadn't sinned, 
we would have lived forever by eating of the tree of life. That's a fact. If they had eaten of the tree of life, they would have never died. I can't answer that question. There's no biblical support for it. Sorry? Exactly. I, I just don't know how to answer that question. All I know is what has happened and what the Bible's telling us now. The point of it all was this. Psalm 8 is talking about humanity. It's, it's, it's talking about you and I. You and I, you and I were created to spend that special relationship with God. But what changed that relationship? sin again so psalm 8 says what is man that you think about him that you are mindful of him the son of man that you visit it visit sometimes that king james stuff is really really hard sometimes that you pay attention to him for you have made him a little lower than elohim now you got to remember sometimes the translators were not perfect, okay? And we know pretty much that that word Elohim could either be made angels or God. It makes more sense in this context that you look at it as God. So what comparison do we have with angels? We weren't made in any likeness or shape or form of angels. Angels were spirit. Angels were neuter. They were neither male or female. Angels were created as a limited number. Angels were created to worship God, but yet they still had a free will, and like we did, that's in, in compared, I guess. But, but it makes more sense to me that, you know, we were created a little lower than God. High, the highest of all his creation, right? The highest of all his creation was, yeah? So that's, I'm just going to move on because I can't, I cannot figure out what else to say. But, but keep studying for yourself. Don't take my words for it. Go home and study. There's enough resource material on the, on the internet where you can dig into the Hebrew, into the Greek words, and you go and study it. Now, it says there, Adam and Eve, if you talk, if you look at the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the basic gist is Adam and he, Eve had the option of eating the tree of life and not dying. They had that option, but they chose to disobey God and take of the, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now flip back to Hebrews chapter 2. Why did we spend time in Psalms 8? Because I needed you to see that it was talking about humanity, all right? That it wasn't talking about, specifically in Psalm 8, about, about who we would say Jesus Christ. But, Hebrews 2, 5 through 9, again it says, What is man that you are mindful of him, that you think about him, that you recall to mind man? How do you do that? What is man that you take care of him? You gave man glory and honor. You made him of the highest of, of your creation. You put everything under his authority, right? We get that through, what, verses um, 6 through 8, or 6 and 7. But now look at verse 8, because this is really key at what happened. But now, in verse 8, we do not yet see all things put under him. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now, at this very moment, at this time in our existence, in our life, we see not yet all things put under him. Y you know what? What happened? 
Why are not all things put under the authority of humanity? Here's what happened. Man lost his crown and glory. Man lost that and and became the slave of sin. When they sinned, when humanity sinned, when Adam and Eve sinned, they lost their their, um, authority over everything, didn't they? Think about it. Where where they had control, it, it, it look they used to they used Adam would go in and he'd be palsy wowsy with the animals and stuff. He named them. They had a relationship. After sin, things changed and progressive over the period of years to the point where we are now with with animal kingdom, right? Lions eating stuff and and everything. I mean, it's just different. We don't have that authority over it we've lost it because of sin sin corrupted our moral nature sin corrupted the nature of this world it, it the 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 world groans under the heaviness of sin man take your bibles go to romans 6 look there at verse 15 talking about being slave under sin. It says in verse 15, look at verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace, God forbid. Know ye not, or don't ye know, that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, His servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that you were the the servants of sin. That word servant is the word doulos. What does doulos mean? Slave. That's right. You were the slave of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine which was delivered to you. They were the slave of sin because they had sinned against God, Adam and Eve, and that sin nature went into everybody. But when they had faith in Jesus Christ and looked to him in repentance, they were no longer the slave to sin. As a matter of fact, Christ broke the power of sin, of sin over mankind. We were the slaves of sin. When we sinned against God, we lost our authority we lost our glory and our crown in a sense. Just think about it. Adam and Eve, what happened? They were dethroned, were they not, in a sense? They were in the throne room, the kingdom. But when they sinned, God put them out and put a cherubim, an angel with a flaming sword in front of, I think it was the eastern gate of the city there to go into the garden. They were dethroned. Man has lost what he has been given. Life was not supposed to be like we see it today. Did you know that? It wasn't supposed to be like that. God knew everything that was going to happen. God foresaw, God foreknew, God knew about it before he created everything. God absolutely knew. Don't ask me why he didn't intervene and do things differently. I don't know. But God knew exactly what was going to happen. But he gave us free choice. Because free choice, free will is the ultimate expression of true love, right? So it weren't, we weren't supposed to have death and pain and heartache and toil and struggles. And more importantly, we weren't supposed to be apart from God. I love in the garden, in the cool of the evening, what happened every day? That's right, honey. God came down in the cool of the day, and as spirit, and he spent time with Adam and Eve. If they hadn't sinned, Curtis, do you know what? Whenever the cool of the eve came today, we would have all been together spending time with the Lord. If they had kids like we did, and on and on and on, I don't know. But whoever was here would have been spending time with the Lord. But we lost all that. Because of sin, we sinned against God in that that time frame. David was looking at creation and thinking, 
We are a sinful man. Why do you think of us? Why do you look upon us? Why do you intervene on our behalf? Now back to my point. But I want you all to understand by understanding what we've talked about is basically this. We have blown it big, haven't we? We've blown it, haven't we? Nikki, God put you, or, or no, let's see. It'd be like God putting me in a Harley Davidson shop and saying, you can have every bike in this shop except the fat boy. You can't have the fat boy. You can have the Sportster, you can have the Iron, you can have the Electro Glide, you can have the Street Glide, you can have the Road King, have it all. But, but the fat boy, you cannot have, all right? But I think the fat boy is beautiful. Yeah, I really do. Big old fat tires, kind of low. Oh, sweet. And I get on that thing, and I've lost everything else because I selfishly, willingly disobeyed God and took that fat boy. I blew it all. I blew it all. This is what we've done as humanity. We've blown it, and we've blown it big. And here's what Paul is trying to get you and I to understand. He says, look at you look in Hebrews 2 and look at all these verses. You know, it wasn't for the angels to, to reign in, in the kingdom. It, it wasn't for them. God looked down on you and he, he crowned you and he glorified you and he did all these things. But you blew it because of your sin and you've lost all that. Why? Maybe because of our humanity. And, and we sinned against God. Now, look at verse 9. You say, what does this all have to do with Jesus Christ? The verses in Psalms 8 that we've read, verses 4 through 6, these verses here in Hebrews 2, 5 through, through, 5 through 9, they speak of humanity. But they also, they also, when you read it, are overflowing with a messianic message. These verses, when you read them, you see it as overwhelmingly Speaking of Jesus Christ. Psalm 8, though it is speaking directly of the humanity of man, it is also viewed as a, as, as a messianic, as messianic of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ. So what is Paul saying? God has created this wonderful world in this universe. But we as man, we've blown it. And, and you know, we were created, we were in that garden, we had all that we needed, but we lost it. Remember verse 8? It says, but now we, what's it say, verse 8 there. But now we do not see yet all things put under man. We've sinned and that's caused the problem. Jesus was crowned with glory and honor, was he not? It says there in, in Jude, verses 24 and 25, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. That term, our God and our Savior, that is a term that speaks of Jesus Christ. It's talking about our Savior and Lord. Be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. How was Jesus, how, how was Jesus king and glory and honored and all that, yet he was made lower than the angels? You say, but pastor, you just spent time out of Psalms 8 saying that the word angels is Elohim, right? So now you're changing it and saying that this in Hebrews is saying that he's actually lower than angels? Yeah, you know why? Because the word angels in Hebrews chapter 2 is not Elohim. It's angelos, which means angels. Confusing more? Yeah. It is not a direct quote. No, it's not. But it's pretty, it is a quote to a point. 
But remember, too, Scripture is not written by man, but it's written by God. So Paul wrote what God wanted him to write. Yeah. There are other words for angels as well. Yes. I don't know. I'll have to think about it. But but the point is this. Man was created lower than God. We're not God. We're not as God. We're not like God in that complete sense. We were created lower than him. Now, in Hebrews, it says that that talking of Christ, he was lower than the angels. How was he lower than the angels? Because Paul just spent all of chapter 1 saying how much better than the angels he was. What's the difference? He was flesh. And in flesh, what did he do? Say it. He died. Angels cannot die. Can they? They can't die. Humanity sinned in the human flesh. God became human flesh to do the only thing that that could be done for humanity. To die for humanity. It's the only thing that could have, have been done. He was lower than the angels because, because he died. Look at verse 9. God created everything and man blew it. And now we do not rule and we will not reign. And, and we've lost that, hold on, that which God gave us and created us for. But what does it say? But now we see Jesus, the incarnate God, the man God, one who in the flesh came and sinned not, did what man could not do. He did not sin. Came and did what the law requires for sin. What does the law require for sin? Death. The wages of sin is death. Death is required. What did he do? He paid death for our sins. Now look at verse 9. I won't forget your question. But we see Jesus, who is a man, who was made a little lower than the angelos for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for what? Every man. That is why I am not a Calvinist. That is why I have hope that, that all men can be saved because Christ tasted death for every man. Man brought death and the second, well, actually the first man brought death and the second man brought life. Wearsby sums it up like this. Nowhere in the Bible does God promise the angels that they will rule in the world to come in that millennial kingdom. God gave Adam the rule over all the earth, Genesis chapter 1. The psalmist, in in Psalm 8, 4 through 6, in which God's blessing is repeated from Genesis, and and that blessing, that Psalm 8, is actually mentioned in Genesis, but not a verbatim quote, but it is from Genesis. That God made man a little lower than the angels, or literally for a little while lower than God, Elohim. The suggestion seems to be that Adam and Eve were in a period, I read earlier, probation. They were not created to remain less than God, and had they refused to sin, they would have ultimately shared God's glory in a wonderful way. Satan knew that they would be lower Satan knew that they would be lower than God only for a little while, so he hurried and promised them glory ahead of time. Sin came into the human race and robbed Adam of his earthly dominion. He ceased being a king and became a slave. Romans and Jude. That is why in verse 8 it says, But now we see not yet all things put under him. Man, what do we see? We see Jesus. He's the last Adam. He's the way, the truth, and the life. 
He is the propitiation for our sins. He is our only hope. He is our only redeemer. He is our only mediator. Everything rests on the fact of Jesus Christ. We look at man and we're dead. We see Jesus and we live. Spurgeon, you know how he got saved? Grew up in a Christian home. His grandparent was, his granddad was a preacher. His dad was a preacher. He, he heard Jesus stuff all the time, but he was at the age of 16 on a snowy wintry night in London, or, or not, somewhere in the UK, I guess. And he walked into, a, 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 I think it was a Methodist church, and there weren't but a handful of people there. The minister didn't even make it there. Some deacon got up, spoke for about five minutes, and he simply said these words, look to Christ, look and live, look and live. Do you not see the whole point of Hebrews chapter 2? Paul's saying to the, to the people under persecution, I know you're having a hard time. I know things are hard for you. I know things are difficult for you. I know you want to quit. But take your eyes off a man. Take your eyes off your frailty and your insecurities and, your, and your, the things that you've failed with. Take your eyes off all of that. Take your eyes off your persecutors. What do you need to see? Look at Jesus. He was a man and he conquered sin. And he did it for you and me. Man, that blessed my heart so much. I, I know I might have confused a little bit tonight with all that I said, but the bottom line is this. Look to Jesus Christ. He is the author and finisher. He is what you need to see. And next week, you know what you're going to see? You're going to see what he did for you and I. For In verse 10 it says, For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory. Remember the glory that we lost? He brings us to glory. To make, the, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. And we'll talk about being sanctified. Now, the whole point is this. Hebrews 2 is an encouragement to you and I, and to them old Jewish believers. You know what? Just keep on. Just stay faithful. Don't lose hope. Just keep your eyes upon Jesus. Now, you had a question. A lot of them, but you had a question. In Hebrews or Psalms? The angels, I think, came and ministered to him. In the fact, in his humanity, he was. In his humanity. I mean, I, you, we can't argue with the scripture. And it says, but where does it say that? Uh, that. He was made a little lower than the angels of the suffering of death. You know, that, that was how he was made a little lower than the angels. He, he did something they could not do. They cannot die, and yet he did die. You would think the king of glory, he's not going to die, but he did. Does that help you at all? It's... Doesn't it make it even more precious to understand that God gave up something he didn't have to give up? I mean, and became someone he did not have to become? I, I, I mean, he veiled, he didn't diminish. When, when the Bible says that he, his flesh veiled his glory, it doesn't mean that it weakened it at all. He was completely, fully God. Remember when... Was it in the Garden of Gethsemane, honey, where where the folks, uh, the crowd of people came to the Lord and 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 took him, and and he said something like, "Look, are y'all lunch? I could call down a legion or twelve thousand legion of angels to, to to defend me. He didn't need Peter to whip out a sword or anybody else. He could because he was still in command of them, but yet." He made himself lower than him. 
Maybe it's like, you know, a king. We've heard stories where, and I don't know if they're true stories, but they, at least they're on TV, so maybe they're sort of true. I don't know. Where a king will switch places with a pauper. I think it was called Simpson the Pauper or something like that, where, where they switch places. In essence, maybe it's kind of sort of like that. He willingly took on that veil. I hope you get one thing from this, that your God is unlike any other God. He willingly humiliated himself and subjected himself and subjugated himself and took on the flesh. You know, we have problems with our flesh, don't we? You know, health-wise, but also temptation-wise. And the Bible says that he knew no sin. He never committed sin. But he felt the pull and plug and the, the pressure of that temptation. I'm sure he wanted to eat the bread there in the wilderness, but he didn't. To me, that's a pretty amazing thing, you know, that he would do that for me and for you. Paul's using this to encourage the Hebrews to not quit. And that's what I hope we get from it. Look what kind of God he is. You can, you can bear all things because of him who bore all things. That, good questions, Mickey, but uh, uh, 